So hello and welcome one and all. You are tuned in to Frivolous Gravitas with myself, Christopher Driver. Alongside me today is a very special guest, Justin Hanischuk, my way hetero life partner and uh, just to steal some verbiage from Kevin Smith. So before we start, just a little about my friend here. Uh, Justin's been professionally circumnavigating the proverbial block with specialization in the hospitality industry, sporting over 10 years, uh, managing food and beverage service and watering holes from the West Coast all the way to Winnipeg here, where he now hails his home. His expertise is exposure to human interactions in social settings, both by managing the back end of business operations and staff, as well as customers and groups he served over the years. So today we're going to examine the roots and binding ties of our interpersonal relationships, not just Justin and I, but broadly speaking of all peoples. We'll see if we can unearth some fundamental ideas about social life to see if we can identify commonalities between cultures, personal evolutions of concepts like friendships as we live and grow. And we'll try to analyze some of the core components and roles that maturity plays in our social development as individuals. So we're going to dive into friendships at first, I think, and maybe move on to concepts of love and hate too as we carry on from there. Um, but just to get us started, let me ask you, uh, Justin, what do you think is the definition or explanation of what we might consider friendship, assuming there may be some differences between cultures depending on who's listening and where they come from? Um, I mean, in broad terms, I feel like it is just the uh, link up between two like-minded people. Um, it starts out uh, on a very superficial level, obviously, like what are your interests, you know, baseline. And then from there, it kind of evolves into more of a bond over time uh, through experiences and hardships and, and uh, you know, good times, whatever. That classic adage, good times and bad times. Um, but the, the true friendships are the ones that aren't based on uh, the whimsical, you know, like if I'm having a bad time in life, those are the friends that tend to just kind of disappear, you know, Oh, I, I can't handle this. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to help you. I have no compassion towards your situation, et cetera, et cetera. The real friends have, uh, a shared empathy. I think empathy is, is the most important thing with friends. And I think that's where true friendship starts is to develop empathy for the other person, not just sympathy. Do you want to dig into that a little bit? Like, what do you think empathy empathy means in this context? Um, in regards to having your uh, thinking outside of yourself, when you put the other person before you, you know, like their like perspectives, when you, their backgrounds, their biases, yeah, that all that, right? Everything, yeah. Um, and then when, uh, you know, that you run into issues or problems or what have you in the friendship, not in your internal life, but in your friendship, then those are the tests where, you know, you develop those bonds more thoroughly and, um, through not fighting, I wouldn't say fighting, but, you know, even argumentative, uh, debates or what have you, um, you really uh, learn to appreciate their point of view because it's not your own. And it, I think it helps you grow as a person fundamentally. Well, as an extension from that, I think that's a good point and place to, uh, to branch off from 
when when you talk about like conflict being sort of a source of strength in in growth between a bond or a friendship or what have you what uh what types of conflicts would you be looking for like is that something you might want to instigate intentionally with purpose or you just let it happen with time or well the conflicts present themselves in you know millions of different ways but i mean i wouldn't go out of my way to look for a conflict in a friendship it's kind of counterintuitive to the bond <laughs> yeah a little bit eh? a little bit but i mean there sometimes you need uh those differences to be ironed out because if you don't get in these uh you know because you're gonna eventually it's just inevitable to have disagreements with people to 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 feel uh, you know hurt or something that happens um but it's it's i wouldn't say it's a good thing to go looking for but i mean when it happens that's like i said it's like when you know that the other person is there for the long haul when you can just get past it and say okay that's their point this is mine um it may not jive with exactly what I believe in or what have you, but I still respect them and uh, you just move on. So with that in mind, then, when you have conflict between two people and that strengthens a tie, what's the difference between that type of conflict that breaks a bond and the type of conflict that strengthens one? Is it just a, a, a dichotomy between the two where you veer one way or the other, or is there some kind of well, it can strengthen it a bit, but also weaken it a bit at the same time. Like, is it part of a spectrum, do you think? Well, I mean, if you look at uh, a friendship level of uh, a spouse, because you have to be friends before you're married, that's the strongest bond you have in life, I think, is if you get married, um, besides your best friends and whatnot. But look at divorce. I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a one-way street. Um, you know, that's a complete breaking of the bonds you've made. Um there's that kind of uh, there's there's no coming back from something like that, um, and I'm only equating that to friendship. Obviously, um, in those terms, I mean, obviously, a marriage is a lot more complicated than just being friends with someone. But I mean, that is a baseline of any good marriage. You think there are but, amicable divorces? No, sure. I'm sure that people just spend too much time away from each other, whether it's for work or travel. Um, they just lose the love they used to have or they've had kids and they just drift apart or there's like i don't know there's a million reasons why people's marriage fails um not everyone ends in, in a disaster <laughs> i mean people just decide uh confidently and and uh respectfully to just bow out when they should instead of just prolonging something and being miserable for years and years afterwards yeah i hear you yeah. So, so getting back to um, when we were talking about the the roots of the friendship and everything and the, the okay. conflict sort of being part of the bond that strengthens and empathy being a requirement, uh, setting yourself in the other person's shoes emotionally, not just, you know, from your perspective, right. if you were them, but actually as them. Um, how does that how does that grow? Like, is, is it something that needs um like cultivation and manicuring and like cleaning up and maintenance and effort and work, or can it just grow organically just from proximity and, and routine? That's really tricky because everyone's situation is different. I mean, you could have a, a friendship where that's all you have is proximity and you just known them for X amount of time and you just have you're like furniture in their lives, you know? Um, so I, I suppose if you really wanted to have a, 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 
a real friendship where there's, you know, support and, um, you know, you can talk to them about anything, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you would, you know, there is a certain amount of cultivation and time you would need to put into it. You can't just willy nilly hope for the best when you meet someone, you know, Oh, maybe after six months we'll be best buddies. Like it doesn't work like that. You need to, you need to, uh, constantly kind of, you know, poke and, and prod, uh, for, you know, the past and, and, uh, you know, all their opinions, beliefs, dreams, ambitions. It, I mean, I would love to say that friendship is organic, but uh, at the end of the day, it, it does require two people to put in effort to, to meet halfway. You know, if one person's mm-hmm. putting in all the effort, the other person's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that I think might stem a little bit into compatibility, right? When you have, well, yeah. Two- uh, and friendship is a little bit more complicated for compatibility than let's say a, like a relationship, in my opinion, like meeting a significant other. Cause that is physical right away. You're attracted to that person, like a friendship. You don't necessarily have a physical attraction to them, um, per se, but I mean, like, uh, it's more of a mental, uh, to start. Yeah. Or I find even mannerisms, like I'll, I'll be attracted to types of people right. that sort of behave in certain ways that are um, not necessarily gregarious, but just even if they have weird tweaks like me, that I'm more, I relate to that sort right. of. Right. That would be part of the empathy, I think, uh, because you're relating to something you can already uh, manifest yourself in their shoes and you can already see where they're coming from because you share those kind of characteristics and stuff like that. Yeah, so I guess it makes the empathy a lot easier then. Yes, it's yeah. it's definitely it's 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 like uh, instead of having like a dirt path between you, there's just to start out, you already have a bridge. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because you know there there's there's so many different uh, levels to, to to build upon uh, to answer your question. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, when, when you're like at work in your, in your old professions and so like you and I, I'll just give a little quick recap of our history. Sure. We, we moved out to BC together and you were attending bar and I was, um, working in office and we, we'd usually, well, whether commiserating or just communing, <laughs> we would gather at a watering hole, you and I, and just have drinks with whoever was around kind of thing. Um, what role do you think, uh, like drugs or alcohol or um external factors like food for instance is a huge social component i find people are a lot more agreeable and affable when they're eating <laughs> do you think there's like a human psychological component to the to the the environment as we're building a, or developing a friendship or finding one uh well to quote guy vander he uh with his scotch um <laughs> it's called uh, social lubrication for a reason. <laughs> yeah. So um, does that mean we're yeah, naturally I, inhibited though? Like we, we naturally don't want friends or, or what? I think it's just, it's a matter of uh, letting your guard down easier. I don't think it's, it's necessarily like you, you're not trying to uh, actively seek out friendship and stuff like that because uh, you know, deep down we have a need to be social, like we're social creatures. We started in, in tribes, you know, we started, um, being that way ever since the dawn of time for us as a species or whatever. But I think it's definitely a, a needed thing. Um, 
in terms of drinking and, and drugs and stuff like that, I mean, I don't think it's necessary, but it definitely kind of speeds things. It kind of uh, puts the friendship on an exponential growth because you have the the time is condensed and your your inhibitions are uh, down. Um, and so you're willing to share a lot more than you normally would. How about? Mm. So connecting to people sort of has a, a reliant component of vulnerability to it. Like you have to be exposed in order to receive that type of. You, yeah, it's, uh, you, you have to be. I mean, if you're just going to be a clam, <laughs> you're not going to really <laughs> gonna glean too much from the other person if uh, you're just a closed door. Um, yes or no answers. Like it's just there. That's no way to. <laughs> so. Okay, well, in keeping with that thought, then uh, I'd like to ask you about like environmental, other environmental con- conditions that relate or either enhance or restrict people's ability to to form those tight bonds. So um, friendships at work, for example, you've got the shared workspace. Do you want to sp- speak on that a little bit, like how work affects the way humans relate to each other, working shoulder to shoulder? Well. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I really appreciate work relationships because it is a work relationship. It's not like a traditional friendship, quote unquote, unless you actually develop that outside of work, obviously. But uh, it's a lot more safe, in my opinion. Um, you don't have to put in as much. It's it's a really casual relationship. Um, so it's it's easier to just kind of pick it up and put it down. You know what I mean? If you work together, you work together that day. If you don't, you don't. You know what I mean? It's not like you're... So it's it's a lot it's a lot uh, slower paced because you're you you very slowly over time develop a, a a stronger relationship with coworkers, but that uh, because you're not um, in your free time and you're constantly at work and you're half focused on work and half focused on you know building that kind of thing on the side it's 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 a lot slower I think um, I personally am a lot more guarded at work I don't like to share a lot with my coworkers, um, unless they ask, you know, just general questions. I, I stopped, uh, getting involved with people I work with now. The so, um, and stuff. It is comforting though. You, you were mentioning a bit about like a safety portion or like, uh, when we were speaking about, um, forming the friendships and how work is a bit more guarded than regular friendships, but like to build a friendship, you need to let your guard down. But at the same token, to work productively, you can't just be um, exposing your emotional connections to everybody because everybody at work obviously is going to be impacted and it's going to maybe cause friction or whatever, like people dating at work, that kind of thing. So given that you're working next to people and you have some common goals and common structures and you have easy chit chat because you have the the shop to talk about, right? How How does that different from a friendship from that you just meet at a bus stop or in a park walking your dog or something like that? Like what, what's the difference in the friendship? Is, is there like a categorical difference? Well, put it to you this way. Yeah. Put it to you this way. If you have ever, um, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but if you ever talk to people a lot at work and then ever have any kind of hangout outside of work, what do you wind up talking about most? Work, but I love work. I'm weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. So your your fundamental building blocks from our work relationship is the work itself. It's very rare for me anyway that I've actually made real friend long lasting friendships from just work because you have to move past that barrier of okay, we have something else to talk about besides work. 
but that's always what you want to talk about. So I just, I don't know. I've always treated those work relationships as just that. And I've never really tried to expand on them too much unless uh, in this circumstance where I was doing my old job where I used to bartend and I'd have regulars and then I would hang out with them outside of work. And obviously I'm not going to talk with them about work because they don't work with me. Right. So we automatically are skipping that part. And I am automatically skipping and bypassing some of the getting to know you stuff because they already have been coming to me for two years at the point. You know what I mean? So yeah. So you can skip the foreplay and you can jump sort of ahead. Exactly. Get right to the sex, (laughs) (laughs) except not sex. I'm just saying it's a figure speech. Um, (laughs) <laughs> a sexy figure but yeah no it's uh <laughs> it's complicated though i mean like relationships are complicated friendships are are very i don't know it's they're very complicated and you can't just uh pick up a person and put it down like a toy you know what i mean that takes time and when you're not in 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 the picture their life still exists and time still goes on you know for them um so it's, that, it, it requires a certain amount of uh, tenacity, I think. I, yeah, and I think that's a good segue into like maintaining friendships, like rather than just building them. Maintaining them, um, some require more work than others, obviously. But in my experience, I don't know if you've experienced this, but there are times when I, I try to form a friendship with somebody, but their intensity level doesn't match mine. Whether it's I want to be more with them, or talk to them more often, or they want to talk to me too often, and I just want to stand back a bit. What right. kind of dynamics like that do you think play into like everybody's general social engagement? Uh, well, I mean, I was just gonna... versus like my my distance versus your distance kind of thing. Yeah, and I was just going to bring up the point of uh, personality traits uh, as a segue from that, uh, because if I'm an introverted person, which I am. In, in general life uh and i meet a very gregarious outgoing person who is all about having huge social circles and, and knowing 10 or 12 people and whatever i i feel like um that those dynamics uh play a huge integral role in in the way that you're forming those relationships as well because if i understand you to be a very loud in your face uh you're open. Usually those people are very open with their lives, almost to an embarrassing level. Uh, I'm going to stand back automatically because I can already see that you're not matching what I'm going for. Uh, I am uh, a lot more. Um, I, I don't want to say the cliche of down to earth, but I mean, I don't really know any other way to put it, but I automatically will just stand back from that because I cannot deal with that amount of uh, uh, energy. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're looking for more Um, of a sedated interaction between people. I can't. Yeah. So if I really if I'm in the mood to like my old friend from way, way, way back, if I'm in the mood to go out and party and if I'm in the mood to, to, you know, socialize all that, those are the people I want around. But slowly over time, I have come down and down and down and down notches and notches with that. So I just am not looking for that type of, uh, you know, um, person anymore. It's just, it's too much. So yeah, I, I think in general sense, uh, when people are looking for those types of things, uh, that's the first thing that goes through their head. I think is, does this person match my, that you like you said, your energy level or what have you. 
Yeah. So is that something that you think we should be trying to compromise for? Like, is that a personal fault that I should be trying to extend myself further into someone else's domains to, to more relate to them? Or is and it just I've, a matter of fact, that's how it is. We should just accept it kind of thing. I, I've thought about this a lot. And honestly, like I, at this age, I mean, maybe 10 years ago, you asked me this question, I might have a totally different answer, but at this age, I feel I'm not going to go out of my, I'm not going to call it a safety bubble because it's not a safety bubble. I understand where my borders are, but I'm not going to go out of my way to placate to someone else's wants and needs if they're at that level. And I'm just not, if that makes any sense. I'm not going to say instead of compromising your, your ability to distinguish what you do want out of life and what you want out of a friendship means that you don't have to overextend yourself, trying everything that's, guaranteed sort of not to work right and that's not to say that i'm not going to put in the effort if i do meet someone who is compatible but if especially if they're a very uh loud and obnoxious even or like i said they they just tell their life story to you or or whatever else like all at once it's just too much so no i'm not going to compromise in that regard i will in other regards like if um let's say like if I'm just not feeling that well one day, I'm still going to push myself to go out and see them because it, it means something to them and me and you know what, that kind of thing. But in regards to having those co- personality conflicts, no, I'm not going to compromise on that. I'm just, like I said, I'm too old for that. I just, I couldn't be bothered <laughs> honestly, if, as sad as that sounds. No, or it's, it's honest though. And that, that's that's the hard part about sort of analyzing these types of things is being able to be honest about uh, um, just your wants and your needs, like what you what you consider more valuable than others with regard to your time and your energy. I think that's a process of maturity that I sort of want to get into a little bit later. So it's good that you you mentioned that as a as a bookmark for some foreshadowing. But before we go to that, I would just like to sort of pick yeah. at you a little bit more on on the. Um, the the what do you call that the impetus that you have to put into friendships like choosing which ones to maintain and which ones to compromise for and balancing i guess is what i'm talking about because most people have more than one friend so balancing your your group of friends might be the next place i'd like to ask you um just based on what you've seen even from people coming in as customers you'll see groups of all kinds and every now and then you'll probably see one person with a different group and you'll you'll recognize yep. the dynamics kind of thing. What what do you think? Like this is, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, I I definitely saw that all the time. I'd see the regular group hanging out, and just one day in like a month, I'd see, um, just this one guy out of that group with one other guy because they're not part of that group, right? It's a totally different circle of friends that he's with, or the 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 one friend it just doesn't have that many friends kind of like me i don't really uh, um so I, I find it really easy to balance because i have so few contacts that i care to stay close to uh besides family obviously sister mom dad you know that kind of thing yeah. uh brother whatever uh but um i just uh i feel it very uh lackadaisical even for me to continue that because i i just don't have to worry about so many different people in my personal life uh but i mean for other people for someone who is outgoing and stuff like that i feel like they probably are so used to playing the hop skip and jump around their group 
and to all these different people that it's almost like it gives them a charge. Like this person gives me this and this person gives me this. Like we were talking the other day, we were uh, sorry to catch you folks up. Uh, we were talking about the idea of polyamorous friends um, in regards to social settings and social groups, uh, which actually is, is a really interesting uh, uh, way of putting it uh, because that's essentially what, um, and I hate to keep bringing up outgoing people because obviously introverted people, have always classically been more of the, I'm going to only have a couple of really good friends and I don't really talk to that many other people. So I'm only speaking of outgoing personality types, but um, I mean, I find it interesting that they can bounce around so much and, and kind of have that freedom to explore all of these different avenues and, and opinions and, and viewpoints. But at the same time, I would just be so exhausted at the end of the day, I couldn't handle it. Um, can you speak a mean, little yeah. more about that though? Like the, uh, the polyamorous friendship discussion that we were having before. Oh, I mean, so, I mean, if you take a polyamorous actual relationship, you're talking about having multiple partners, maybe kids thrown into the mix with whoever, um, romantic so all partners is, we're talking about, right. Romantic okay. partners. Uh, so all it is, is, is kind of, um, taking that concept and applying it to your friend circles. So if you have uh, especially with my one other friend, he's very um, in need of, of having multiple, multiple uh, friendship partners, if you will. <laughs> um, and he, he, he needs, you know, those, uh, you know, five, six, eight people in his life on a, on a, on a circle, on a cycle to, to kind of give him all the needs that he needs from one friendship um, to kind of fulfill all of his needs um, as, as opposed to just a couple of very close niche people that will fill one half and one half, if that makes sense. So he's basically giving each person has like an eighth of what he needs (laughs) for for one, for one friendship. And you put that very Uh, well. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. You cut out a little bit there. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to make another coffee. Should I put you down or should I just continue? No, that's whatever you want. Okay. You can keep whatever. keep me around. I don't really care. It's just dishes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, going on to that is because I, I sort of felt for most of my life I was like that. So each each of my even my closest friends are sort of only like an eighth, like you said, of of my interests and my passions and my pains and my experiences and all that. But your um, your way of life is a little mixed though because you started out having the needing those multiple, multiple people to kind of, um, fulfill those, all those needs, but you've kind of grown into more of an introverted, uh, friendship level where you can't deal with all those people anymore. Right. It seems yeah, like anyway. it's, that's sort of what fascinates me about it is like, I can't really pinpoint where that evolution occurred and what caused it or how long it took to, to become from one to the other. Because I, I, I was very much like every party, every day, every person I meet on the street, every store owner I shop at, like I wanted to know everybody. I think <laughs> I have no idea why. I think internally that changed when you moved to BC, um, specifically in the last year that you were there. Because you started noticing that the people that you had around just didn't seem to give you the same... Um, exploratory you know real like concrete uh relationships that you were needing and you could just go i could just tell you're just getting worn out from the amount of constant upkeep with all of those situations and all of those people 
Um, That's sort of what I find interesting, though, is because it used to invigorate me. Like, I used to be so exhausted until I went out. And then I, within a matter of, what, two or three years, I guess we met yeah. in our teens, so early 20s. And then it flipped when, to the when, opposite, what? where I didn't have the time for anyone else other than yeah. my friends. What was the year that we actually moved? I'm just, I can't ever 2006 remember. 2006 to 2008. 2006, so I would have been... 20, yeah, like 23. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, ish. 22, 20. Because we moved in January, so I would have been 22 still. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, so I find it interesting the evolution of people's needs actually changes too. So it, it's a lot to speak when some somebody meets somebody young or at, at any age, really. If there's always the potential of evolving into a completely separate type of personality it seems really hard to keep long-term friendships with that potentiality constantly looming. Cause like, I mean, it could happen again when I'm 60, right? As a senior, I might just want tons of friends and want to know everybody in my neighborhood all over again. Like I used to. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> but like with, with people generally though, when they're meeting other people, I guess putting a time frame on it, like every time you meet somebody and develop a bond with them, the expectation basically should never be there that it's going to be long-term and that should be okay. I guess that's sort of what I'm getting at. And that's something I, I think I've learned, but I'm not sure that it's accurate. Mm-hmm. Going into starting a friendship or forming a bond or something like that, um, I think it's more natural to assume that any energy you're putting into the person directly in front of you is going to be a long-lasting, long-term, permanent benefit to you in, in your fulfillment and life kind of thing, like a partnership, right? Because generally, you wouldn't invest energy into something that's not going to give back to you. But it seems well, almost really pessimistic and, and jaded to consider going into a friendship and forming a bond with somebody and expecting that it's not going to last long. When it seems more realistic that we should just accept the fact that the friendship might not last, but that's still worthwhile. That it's still a you good know, friendship to have. That speaks a lot to, I don't know if you remember way back in the day where I used to say, you know, I would give 50% to someone to start out. And it slowly went down to 25 and then to 15 and then to no expectations. So at this point in time, if I, let's say I met someone tomorrow and we hit it off as uh, friends, um, they just were super cool, whatever, chill, whatever. I have zero expectations of them, zero, because I don't feel that people um, at this stage in the game anyway, um, frankly, uh, and, and as, uh, as, as, meeting new people and stuff like that. I just don't feel like uh, I would have the energy to commit to making a whole new friendship all over. And it takes so long to, to get to that point, you know, where you can just, yeah, you can have coffee and stuff, but it's just, it takes so long to get to, I mean, uh, where we are um, just for the audience out there. I mean, we're, we are at what, 16 years. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Ish. 15, six, somewhere in there. Half and of those, lives, basically, basically, and at, at that time, I can't even tell you how many changes and and addresses and <laughs> life changes we've gone through um, to get to this point. So it's just it's just even exhausting to think about um, committing it all over again to to somebody else. So to um, put it back on the uh, on the, the other individuals, maybe not specifically us, because okay. po- yeah. possibly aberrations, but <laughs> possibly statistical blips. Sure. Um, 
but putting out for other people, it might make sense then under with that frame of mind or that insight in mind from the onset, we might consider that having a whole bunch of friends on the side burners just stewing over years would help us be able to choose which ones we wanted to keep for long term. So it, it, it almost itself lends to the complete opposite of having more friends than you'd like just so that you have enough when you want them down the road. But at the same time, that's like the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish by having only a few long-term friends, right? And at the same time, we are acknowledging that you can't expect the friend you meet today to be a long-term friend because people change. So how do we sort of juggle all of that? It's just, you can't really, it's, it's really just up to, I, I wouldn't say it's completely up to chance. I mean, it's not a lottery of someone uh, choosing to be your friend or not, but I mean like it, in the lottery of life, I think certainly um, things change. Uh, people move, people get married, have kids, whatever. I mean, you can't, I just, I, I pers- like, I, I feel like if people are just keeping other people in the background for the sake of, okay, maybe this one main one won't work out anymore in a year from now or something bad happened between you. Okay, well, I'll just talk to Mike over here or Joe or whoever now. And th- I think that's a little... Uh, yeah, it little, feels uh, really dirty almost, like you're cheating on everybody. <laughs> yeah, which is why I think that the idea of polyamory as a friendship uh, um, is just so interesting because like, that's basically what those people do is like when they're upset with Johnny over here, they'll move over to Joe and they'll talk to them. And then if they're bored with them, they'll talk to this person. And you know what I mean? So do you those think that's people a healthy that, way though, to have relationships I, like that, because then you're not I depending on any one person. You're sort of depending on the people who can best handle it. See, that's, I think you're, you're conflicted in your idea of, of, uh, how a friendship works. And cause I don't feel like I need to depend on someone for friendship. I just feel that we both contribute talking about that meeting halfway point. I don't think there's a, like, I depend on you at the end of the day. I rely on certain aspects that, uh, I can, you know, I can talk to you about a lot of stuff. I trust your opinions and your judgments, and I trust that you're not going to judge me for what I'm saying. But to say that I, I depend on people, I, I've never depended on anyone. It's well, just, it's the sense of dependence. I mean, is sort of like Maslow's hierarchy dependence in the sense that you can't have company on your own. You depend on another person to be in. Well, company. okay. I, I don't mean depend point. as in, I need you for food. I need you to walk. Okay. Me. I okay. Need you to- Sorry, I took that too literally. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't specific. I'm glad you pointed that out. That's mm. helpful. But um, in keeping with the context of dependence is just like a human need or a basic need. And I'm trying to think of different ways that people can manage relationships in general, not even just friendships, but like romantic or family or anything like that. Because we, we all know we've had grandmothers in the past and it's hard to to like put time aside from your day just to keep them company for a few minutes, right? Just mm-hmm. the simple things even with family is hard to, I guess going back to the balance, and we talk about that a lot on the show with like the Buddhism and the moderation is key. And But moderating friendships is so intangible. It's qualitative. You can't measure it. There is no way to sort of find a middle when there's no numbers, there's no range. Uh, so how, how does a person go about like figuring out what their balance is and communicating that to the to prospective incumbent partners? Mm. I would how say we manage ourselves. 
basically. Yeah. Um, I would say you, you kind of have to be like a, a referee in your own life, I guess. Like this person lives up to my, uh, uh, my qualities that I admire or look for in another person. And if they don't, then they don't. And that's how I think everyone should be. But ultimately people just have shitty friends sometimes. <laughs> Do you, do you think um, it's helpful to like try the extremes like to dedicate six months of your life to just going hard and partying and then dedicating six months of your life to being completely solo and just no that's i think that's unhealthy i think that you're just trying to be a chameleon then you know like i'm this i'm like this with one person but then with my other friend i'm like this totally other per that's not no, I don't like think for self-development to understand what you need yourself is it do you think it would be helpful to force yourself into both extremes and then find your balance that way like how else do you find middle ground without knowing the extent i mean reach in in some regards you do have to test waters i mean I, I think what you're you're saying in in extremes isn't healthy, and I don't think that's what people naturally would do. But you definitely have to test different kinds of aspects of relationships to see. Okay, I like this, but this person does this too much, and I don't think that's health or good, or I don't agree with it, or whatever. So, like with every new person, especially in your formative years, high school, especially early twenties, when you're really uh, developing your idea of self and and your your uh, uh, ideologies, opinions, and and everything. I think it's really necessary to kind of dip your toes in the water. But in terms of like, oh, I'm going to be a hardcore partier because this person parties. I mean, like that's how people land up with people who do drugs. <laughs> that's how people land up with people who uh, associate with cutting and and that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying those are the only types of people you're going to find, but I mean those extremes. That's where you find. The, the the fringes of, of of where you had good people in this circle and then you're kind of going on the the outside to and that's where you're gonna why i was thinking people. of limiting it to a time frame saying for six months i'll do this mm -hmm. how much mm -hmm. I like, and then for six months i'll do this and see how much i like that just yeah. as a form of like a baseline to find out what your your borders are because like my extreme will be different from another person's extreme and another person might want to jump off skyscrapers and i'm only happy jumping off trees and other people <laughs> yeah trees, right yeah no like i said just dipping your toes in i think everyone naturally does that anyway subconsciously yeah, I even i don't think they even think about it but i don't think they do either i think it's just like a natural way that we go about I, I'm, I'm wondering if we can impose some volition into it though like speed up the process or make it more efficient is there a way to develop relationships more efficiently than just trial and error to see what we like and don't like I don't think so. I, I really don't think there's any kind of, you know, <laughs> clinical <laughs> way of, of uh, expediting a, a friendship. I mean, it's just, it has to, I'm going to backpedal a little bit from what I said earlier. I think actually a friendship has to be half consistency and half organic. I think that's more realistic. That sounds nice too. Cause it keeps it fresh. It doesn't right. go stale. Hmm. Because the, the, there's going to be new things that you both come across in your own lives, and there's going to be those commonalities that you can keep going off of, you know? Yeah, so with that in mind, maybe I'll segue into... Um, we, do, we talked a little bit about like maintenance of friendships and, and relationships and partners and things like that. Um, what about healthy ways of parting ways? 
a really common thing these days I keep hearing about is ghosting and I'm, I'm probably too old to have experienced it <laughs> because like texting wasn't even a thing when I was a kid, <laughs> but oh, I know, I know. Um, what do you think about ways I, being honest with other people about breaking friendships or cutting ties or, or loosening the slack even not even just cutting them off, but just saying like, Hey, I need more space. We're not going to be as close as you'd like, but I, you know, we can still keep in touch. You still got a place to stay if you're out of, you know what I mean? Like, what about downgrading friendships, basically? I mean, I don't think there's any reasonable way to do it. Um, ghosting people is pretty vacant. I mean, especially if you've known the person for a couple of years, I think that's a pretty shitty way of saying, you know, we're done. You could you could just say something instead of just being a dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't agree with that completely, but I also don't agree with physically telling someone hey i need my space and you're too much like i think that's almost hurtful to them because they don't understand where you're coming from with that so i think there has to be like a middle ground where you don't have to necessarily say that you're too much of a whatever for me or that i need space from you or whatever but but it should be uh, communicated right it should be, but it, only in very simple terms where I, I think I feel like the other person would be, okay, I totally get that. It, it wouldn't have anything to do with feelings. You'd have to take the feelings out of it. That's the most complicated part of it. Yeah, I think so. Because the second you put feelings on anything, that's when people get hurt and that's when people don't understand because they take it personally automatically. Yeah. That's actually a good line to move into uh, abusive relationships and I, I don't mean i mean obviously punching people is stupid right. and, but right. i mean and like that, that's su- that subtle passive aggressive abusive or like gaslighting or the the, sigh, you, the heavy size and that kind of thing did you define gaslighting then oh I'm not really um, yeah that. that's like making somebody think there's a problem that isn't there so like uh okay. Oh, you for, you forgot to do the door again, like lock the door again. They're like, what? I, I didn't lock the door. And then you keep reminding them that they didn't lock, even though they did. So then they start thinking that they have a problem of not locking the door. Something like that. Weird. Hmm. Interesting. Well, like um, um, spouses do it a lot to each other too. Like when, when they're, when they're arguing about something, if, if, if they feel like they've done something wrong, they might look for a fault in the other person and create one out of thin air and make them think that they had it. Right. Like, Explaining it very well. Maybe I should just look it up. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, from the from what you're saying, it makes sense. Um, so yeah. what what is what it, is the question though? What what do I think about? Well, like I, I'm I'm sort of torn here because I think abusive people, first of all, should just be alone. They deserve it. Until hmm. they learn to not abuse other people, they deserve to just be alone. But with that in mind, people have disorders and sicknesses and and i don't think it's right to say that just because somebody's a little bit unstable that they deserve to be alone like that's not really fair because they're born that way it would be like saying somebody who's short doesn't deserve to place basketball right they can still play like it shouldn't be so they're never going to make the nba but (laughs) yeah yeah so like the zero tolerance attitude i have toward abuse i mean it might be just a personal thing for me like i refuse to accept abuse from anyone and i i don't think any woman should expect uh accept abuse just because of the the power structure is different physically you know what i mean so i think there's actually more risk to a woman being abused than there is risk to a man being abused but that in and of itself is sexist too so I'm like, I'm conflicted with prejudice as well as personal preference, as well as rational thought. But rationally, I know that there's scientific medical conditions that cause people to be 
irritable or agitated or aggressive or, you know what I mean? So what are your thoughts on like dealing with subtle abuses? Uh, oh boy this is a this is a loaded topic um well considering um too because we don't have to get too complicated right off right right well considering that uh you're talking to someone with some of those problems uh not with the uh abusing other people but having uh uh, problems in regards to um conflict let's just say conflict as a broad term that encapsulate a lot of different things um i feel that uh, that kind of abuse especially that that uh either whether it be passive aggressive condescending what you mentioned with the gaslighting uh i don't necessarily have a zero tolerance with abuse in general because uh, not not to say that abuse is not bad because it is it's yeah horrible. exactly <laughs> you can't you can't and no one can ever tell me that abuse is a good thing but there's reasons why people react and they they act the way they do uh and it justified in their own mind and i'm not saying that that i'm saying you know if if i see abuse and i'm like yeah whatever it happens like no obviously it's a bad thing i'm gonna point it out but at the end of the day it's it's there are reasons behind everything that people do it's not just like um so i i don't think that that's examined enough um you just see abuse and you don't even question why it's happening or what happened to this person. I'm not saying I'm not going into the whole victim thing either, but <laughs> uh, cause that's a whole nother thing. I don't even want to broach, but um, I, I just don't think there's enough uh, uh, digging into the, the situation um, of, of abuse in general and why it's happening in the first place. All we're looking at is the symptom of the abuse. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like ignoring the cause and the source and the, everything that built up to co- to create it. Again, not a proponent for abuse at all. No, I, not I at all. No. Not even in the slightest. It's a horrible, horrible thing. If anything, from, I'm leaning towards the intolerant side of it, just completely yes, being against I, it. Yes, I totally if, am as well. When in um, doubt, intolerant. <laughs> yeah. But like um, as a consequence of knowledge, like this is a whole forbidden fruit thing from the Garden of Eden. Like once you're aware that people have psychological disorders and they must exist, otherwise those disorders wouldn't exist. Right. It doesn't justify people's actions, but understanding no. their actions makes it less, hopefully it makes it less damaging. So I'm wondering if maybe some people are more resistant to certain types of abuses. And maybe, and this is just hypothesizing for the sake of exploring thought, but maybe people find partners and comfort with people whose accidental or incidental abuses are the types that they're most resist- resistant to just by their personality. So maybe mm. it's not so much about love and connection as it is about, oh, much this is the worst they, they got. Handle. I can totally deal with that. <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? Yeah, I mean... Like, like you handle my cynicism with a sense of humor. Not everybody does. Some people have really hated being literally. around me and close because they like I sound negative. But to me, it's funny. Irony is hilarious. But I that's can see where they they're coming from. Yeah, well, of course. it does. That's because they're not looking far enough into reading between the lines, you know? Yeah. You, you, you can't just say one person says this, therefore they feel like that. It's like... No, there's there's like ten different thoughts behind 
what people are saying. You're just taking it way too black and white. And that's where people run into that kind of problem. And I'm saying on a general kind of sense, not just you. Yeah. Um, people but are I think way maybe too Maybe you're more white. resistant to my types of abuses is what I'm getting at. And maybe I'm more resistant to your types of abuses. And that's why we're better friends than we are with, say, Joe Blow down the street or right. Black. Yeah, may, I mean, you might be onto something that does make sense. I was also going off of that topic. I was also thinking the other day about um, how when people have, let's say, I don't know, any like you were saying, any kind of disorder and why other people don't suffer from the same thing, even though they have symptoms of it, is because of that tolerance in their brain and the way that it's structured. I don't see some of that. I don't think has anything to do with child rearing at all. I think it's just the way that people's brains form uh, in the womb and uh, in in childbirth and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it has anything to do with the, the nurturing side. I think it's just all nature in that regard that you're specifically talking about with dealing, uh, having a higher threshold of tolerance uh, for that yeah. kind of thing. Because like, you having know a thick skin not. isn't a thick skin about everything. It's usually no, no. about you know people uh, calling you an asshole, or you have a thick skin about people using um, swear words. <laughs> right, <laughs> curse a lot. Curse words. <laughs> curse words yes. See, I, I mean, like I have... since I was a little kid, and actually, some people really hate it. Like I, I try not to swear around my mother because she just doesn't like to hear it, and it's not. Yeah, me either. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. respectful of me to do it. But when I slip, it's not the end of the world because she knows I'm not doing it intentionally, kind of thing, right? I mean, I swear a hell of a lot more in front of my dad and my stepmom than I do in front of my mom because my, I know my dad doesn't care as, yeah, as yeah. much as my mom. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely think that there's uh, something to be said about that. Uh, the, the going back to your tolerance of uh, uh, your threshold, because like, let's just say example, like, you know, somebody works in an industry where they will put up with a lot of abuse from people. It doesn't matter retail serving um, even some, you know, office jobs. I mean, some bosses are just really shitty and they just put up with the abuse or whatever. But I'm just wondering if the tolerance in those instances gives you that, that tolerance or it eventually wears you out of it. That's where I'm kind of like, I don't really understand how people's tolerance level works because like, I feel like over time that shit wears on you. It doesn't matter who you are. I think it just wears and wears and wears on you before you just can't do it anymore. Um, uh, other people are really, really resilient and they never had a problem with them. They just shrug it off, laugh it off. I don't care, whatever. And I really envy those people. But at the same time, I wonder, are those the same type of people that are emotionally shallow that don't consider other people's viewpoints that aren't emp empathetic? Are those the type of people that I'm subconsciously avoiding? Because I know. Yeah, that, you sort that, of get skeptical about their, their, yeah, their, their ability. How yeah. much are you repressing in saying exactly. it doesn't bother you? And I bet you they probably couldn't tell you honestly either. Cause like, if I try no. to think about what I might be repressing, like it's inherently hidden. That's what repression is <laughs> like. Well, yeah. Yeah. So it's just um, kind of a funny cyclical. I love recursion. It just tickles my brain. <laughs> so, um, Oh, yeah. did you have anything else to. No, I was just, uh, yeah, I was just about that, that tolerance, uh, thought that you had. So I, I just want to maybe take one more shovel at it. So we're talking a bit about having a thick skin and people's inadvertent abuses, like accidental slights and maybe like rolling your eyes at somebody or not wanting to listen to them. Like they don't feel heard or, or validated in some way. 
to some people that might be really um, difficult to deal with emotionally. And it's, it's so hurtful, but they care about the other person enough that they think they can stay with them despite it. Um, is it reasonable, do you think, from one person to expect another person to change even if they agree to changing? I'm not saying, like, I'm changing you, but saying, like, I need you to stop this because it hurts me. Um, how do you find a balance there between friends? I don't think people have the ability to change without help. And if someone says they're going to change, they're never going to unless they actually actively seek the help they need. Um, whether it's because they were abused themselves as children or whether whatever the situation is, it doesn't matter. There's a million different things that could have caused it. But if you're in a relationship and someone keeps saying, oh, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, you keep waiting and waiting and waiting because you're holding on to that love and to that you don't want to give up on them because you still, you know, trust them and respect them and all that kind of stuff. You're just sinking your own ship. I don't think there's any way that that's ever going to change. But if somebody I'm not saying it doesn't happen, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but not like 98% of the time. What's up? Oh yeah. Sorry. There's just a lag on that. Yeah. I was going to say, if, if somebody's doing it, not repeatedly, but they're saying, like, I want to change and this is the first instance, is it even reasonable? Just like as a philosophical question, is it reasonable to expect somebody to change, even though they agreed to it and want to do it, to change for you? No. Like, I should we totally, even have that expectation ever? Uh, unless it's like a really dire situation, I think that's really selfish. I don't think you should ask someone to change for you. That means that they're going to be someone else that they're not. That doesn't make any sense. But, well, like, let's say hypothetically, okay, if every time I talk to you, you didn't want to hear the things that I wanted to talk about. So let's say that I asked you, I need, even if you don't care, I need you to to, to hear me okay, out and okay. pretend like you care just because it helps me uh, a lot. It means a lot to me and it's a little... Well, if, if, if that's a compromise, then I would be willing to compromise for something like that. If that's what you're talking but about. But I would ask, though, is that even no. reasonable? Because... If you if you care about the person as they are and you love them unconditionally, like as even as just friends, right? It sounds hypocritical to expect anything, even if they agree to it and promise it and want to do it, and it's in their best interest and it'll make them a better person. Just the fa- by mere fact of the thought of saying you should I'm do forcing this you to do this life for slightly me. differently just for me. I, I mean, that's where you get into the whole uh, nitty gritty of like, uh, what does your friendship mean to you then? And, and how much does this person actually mean to you? Because if you're willing to do that, then I think that that is a good relationship. I don't think that you should be. Um, in my instance, I was, I was saying more of like an extreme case of like yeah, abuse yeah. or something like that. But if you're talking about like, you know, if someone's really in a lot of pain about something and even though you don't understand, but you um, have this like respect and all that kind of, I think that should be an expectation of you to put your cards down and, and help them out with that. It doesn't matter if you care or not. I think that's just a respect thing. I don't think that has anything to do with forcing someone to do something they don't want to do. I think that's out of respect that you do do it. Well put. And I was yeah. going to ask you about the abuse thing. I was going to escalate to it, but you beat me to it. So <laughs> I'll skip past that. I do want to get to uh, family and love a bit. Uh, I'm not sure where you think the better segue would be to start with romance or to start with pure blood family. I'll, I'll let you decide. Let's go with the, the, 
the romance first and then family because i think families should be more important than a frivolous relationship like that okay fair enough um i'm gonna ask you then like i've never been married you've never been married um we're not going to talk about marriage because that would be just ignorant on ignorant (laughs) but on relationships like we've been in relationships where we've considered marriage before at least considered it even if only slightly right i know i have several times um with that the commitment for long term and as we talked about before how people are are almost guaranteed to change in some ways a Mm. lot of people grow together and that's absolutely beautiful and astounding and i love seeing it but for the people who start to grow apart like how much extra effort is merited like how much do you think people should force just from having time and made the commitment and made the vow and just on a totally superficial level is it reasonable again to suggest that in all instances it must work because we've dedicated like is that commitment part of the love like Sorry, you, you said the vow. Are you talking about marriage at this point? Or are you just saying like a, a regular uh, relationship? I mean, a regular relationship, but like okay, when no you're with somebody okay. long enough, um, common law, you basically have a vow to always be there for them. And you know what I mean? Okay, like, well, I mean, if you're getting as far as common law, I mean, that's that's where it gets really tricky. Um, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about how to deal with... Uh, breaking up with people but at that point when when you're having those issues and if you feel you've drifted apart i mean i hate to be jaded but i feel like i would just cut my losses i mean there's yeah there there are times when yeah we can just have a talk about it hey like i feel like we're drifting apart i don't really know who you are anymore we don't talk anymore blah blah blah. and then maybe the person's like oh my god me too i'm so glad we had this talk and now we feel closer again and you first course of action you kind of rope them back into to to the relationship but i mean like if you're already had those talks and, and you still feel the same way or the other person is god forbid cheating on you or whatever um yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's relationships are complicated. It's not like, especially when you throw sex into the mix and all that. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> How much of about. that do you think the promise factors in, though? When, once you've made that sort of promise and commitment to someone, does that make you have to put in more effort or have to stay longer or try harder? Yeah, and that, that goes back exactly what the friendship is like. That's because of the respect level, because of the trust level, because of the commitment level at that point if you're talking about common law i absolutely 100 percent think it should be you are now committed this is what you're going to work on if you don't see it happening then you need to tell that person like today and you need to keep trying though right like yes the communication is just i mean as long as the relationships seems like it is worthwhile for sure like if it's just like the other person's just getting like turning into a shitty person and obviously you got to cut it out. But I mean, yeah, no, I, d- I definitely think that my traditional sense of uh, how a relationship should be very traditional, by the way, uh, you should try recommitting yourself first and foremost to, to try and make it work because otherwise you're just wasting both your time. Yeah. The, the seed that planted that thought for me was um, just, from movies and stories and books or whatever uh common common conflict between characters is uh that that growing apart thing where there's a distance but it's caused by some thing that's only temporary right 
like maybe it's an alcohol addiction or something, and then they get over it, but it takes months, right? How how long do you do you put in that effort because of the promise that you made? Like when I say I'm gonna stand by you, it's 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 almost without um without strings attached. But it it can't you can't just drag somebody through life forever no. because they made a promise, right? So like if where do you draw that it, line, basically? Where's that gray area? Well, that's that's where your tolerance threshold comes in. You know, if you feel that like you've maxed out your tolerance and they're still addicted to meth or they're still gambling or or whatever other thing that they're going through personally that you're trying to help them with and they have tried to quit over and over or they're trying to if they're trying to honestly like deal with it and stop the behavior and to then for sure i would try to be there for them but if they're just struggling so much with it that it's ruining their life and their relationships including mine uh I just, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not married to you. <laughs> if I was married to you, big fucking difference, but I'm not. So at this point, you're, I'm going to try and get you the help you need if you're willing to accept it. But other than that, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put up with that kind of thing. And just for the record, you and I both subscribe to the absolutism of marriage, right? Like once you're married, that person is everything unless at the very Hopefully for life, it's a yeah. lifelong commitment. I mean, unless it's completely dire, like they turn into some crazy homicidal pedophile. Well, yeah, of course, like there are limits to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why we have divorce after all. But I don't believe that 50 percent, 60 percent, whatever it is right now, is even close to where it should be. It should be like 5 percent. Yeah. Rare instances where they're abusive. Uh, there was a suicide. Uh, you know, something forced you out of a marriage. That should yeah. be when it's a five. Like when your health is at risk, or your children are at risk, or your finances, like yes. the future yes. is at risk. Or if you're diagnosed with cancer, you can't do anything about that. Of course, you know you're going to have to. But if it's not something like that, then it should be a hundred percent till you're seventy-five, past you know, passed away, whatever. Like that's what marriage is. And I don't know why it's not anymore. And I have a lot of feeling that it has to do with religion, not being involved in our lives at all anymore. And, uh, these things, these phones are completely taken over our faith in anything. It's disgusting sometimes to me, but oh, you're at touching the same on time, a... I'm horribly addicted. So <laughs> <laughs> you're actually touching on a lot of really juicy stuff there. So like, <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> no, no no that's good i'm, I'm encouraging oh. you <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> so um in those circumstances though like speak more about um when like how religion for example has affected our our social use of the divorce mechanism the legal well, divorce mechanism i mean just as recent as the 50s or 60s it was a faux pas huge faux pas to be living with somebody uh three's company is a perfect example of that that was yeah. a huge like thing <laughs> when that show came out i was like oh, you can't talk about that you know jack was gay that was another big thing on the show like obviously he wasn't gay but um his landlord thought he was but i mean like for sure if the with the absence of something stable and fundamental like religion and a belief in something what else do people have life is meaningless otherwise if you have no belief in anything or any kind of faith in anything outside of yourself and your selfish little world and your little phone and your little circle of, you know, 
Instagram friends and shit, you have absolutely no purpose as far as I'm concerned. And when you strip that out of our society, which has been done slowly but surely over time, what does a marriage mean then? It's not under the eyes of God. It's under the eyes of me and you and a and hundred of our Facebook friends. It doesn't matter nearly as much anymore. It's just saying, I think you're hot now, but do I want to stick around 10 years from now when you kind of got older and fatter and you've had a couple of kids from me? And no, nah, not really. I'll just find someone younger afterwards. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> and yeah, you there's think a that's lot what's of contributing to the 50% divorce rate though is, uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of factors, the economy, uh, you know, like I said, uh, people's addiction to technology, uh, porn is another big one. Um, that's, that's huge. Like yeah. Huge. Like, can you imagine learning about sex ed from porn? I did. As, as opposed to, <laughs> okay, well, I didn't, but I relied Very on unfortunate. That, <laughs> I, I just like kids idea of like relationships and sex and the the sanctity of of marriage is just like this like far off it's in the history books now it's not even like something we even and it's you know. everything about like even how people conduct sex like nobody would have thought to sit there and start tapping a woman like until they see it on porn and think that that's what you do <laughs> or like grab someone's nipple and start yeah, ripping yeah. them like that's not sexy that that hurts <laughs> chicks don't like that uh it's painful and uh like a it, lot of like what's in the movie is just to for show right like yeah if kids are learning or even adults are learning to have sex in a way that is done just theatrically like porn i think that's really gonna hazardously affect people's romantic relationships because um sex is a really strong way of pe two people connecting together right like that's part of that romantic bond that that leads to marriage not that all sex leads to marriage but like you have to generally find someone sexually attractive before you marry them wait wait wait, wait. hold up you said sex right i think i vaguely remember how that feels <laughs> <laughs> i got a video i'll show you <laughs> uh, let's just say the last time i had sex i didn't have gray hair how about that <laughs> like <laughs> and i had hair yeah <laughs> i'm just kidding uh well, moving on from sex to family. <laughs> right. Okay. Nice segue. Awesome segue. segue. Uh, <laughs> what about like the relationships uh, and bonds between like um, brothers and sisters, mothers and kin, grandmothers, nieces, nephews, cousins? They're all kind of different, right? Like if a cousin dies, it's not the same as a sister dying or your mother dying or your grandmother dying, but they're all devastating. Um, how, how are our social bonds relating to our devastation? Like, why is there a difference? Well, I mean, obviously, I think, first of all, it would have to do with who raised you, grandma, mom, auntie, uncle, whatever. Uh, secondly, I mean, it depends who in your family you chose to be closest to for how much long. Um, I choose to be closer with my um, sister than I am with my parents, but it's because she's my age for one and my parents and me didn't really have a good relationship growing up either. So that kind of contributed to our lack of uh, any kind of meaningful connection. So your friendship now. with your parents now is just younger basically than your relationship with your sister because you grew up with her. Uh, I don't think you would say it's, it's not matured. I mean, like it's had the time to do that. I just, uh, it's just one of those relationships I haven't personally put in the commitment because I just haven't seen it worthwhile. As sad as that is to say, because like, this is exactly what I was, uh, 
talking with you uh, yesterday about of that obligatory uh, relationship because that is obligatory with your family. Like no matter how you look at it, like you're born into your mom and dad with your siblings if they choose to have them. You're born into whoever you have for aunts and uncles. You can't. You have no choice in that. It's so the the to say that yeah, I, I would be devastated uh, if my mom died. Of course, I would. Anyone would who wasn't a complete sociopath. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to say that I would be uh, totally remiss of the relationship I'd be missing out on. I mean, like, yeah, but no, because I don't really have one. I would be devastated with it happening. I would be mournful. I would have mourning for probably, you know, a year. I don't know how long that's supposed to last for. I've never really had to deal with a very close one, but um, I would move on. And if people asked about it, I would be sad about it, but it just would happen and I would move on. Do you and think I know it's even fair terrible, then but... to compare bonds between people? That's sort of what I wanted to get to. Cause it is a hard I, question well, to answer because like to say it out it loud is. sounds wrong. Cause that's not it how does. you actually feel. I don't think that it's, it's fair to, to compare your, your bond with your mom or your dad or your family to mine, because we just, it's different, you know, like my, my bond with uh, your parents is different from my parents even. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's just different. Um, we and, have a different dynamic and whatever. So, and just to emphasize that a little bit more, so that nobody gets the wrong impression, I think um, what we're saying is that they're different, and that's okay. Like it, it's right. not like they're different, so this one's better or worse. Like right. they're not comparably different. That's sort of what I wanted to get at with that. And I think going off of that topic, I think that's a very important point to make in a general sense that people are way too used to comparing yourself to other people when in fact you cannot compare yourself to other people because exactly. you're different, you're different, I'm different. All these people are different from you for all of these types of reasons. And you can never say, Oh, uh, you know, I wish I had that or, you know, whatever the case is, you just can't do that. Everyone, everyone has to get out of that, that Instagram mentality, that best friend <laughs> really, mentality, right? The best friend mentality what's that we're like this is my best friend that's my second best friend that's my third best friend well, that's unhealthy too i don't think that's fair that you're <laughs> you have a friendship hierarchy yeah. either <laughs> yeah exactly it's like because no matter what there's going to be that one joe schmo on the bottom of the totem pole <laughs> and that's not that's not very nice at all that was uh that's actually the thing i, had I hang on to in most people's hierarchies <laughs> <laughs> That's who, uh, that's who my close friend when I was a kid, actually, we had a hierarchy of friends. It was super unfair. But I hear uh, a lot of people do that. Like even as full grown adults, they don't sort of realize the, the complete indifferent, like difference between relationships, even from one friend to another friend, Never mind parents and siblings. But I, I want to emphasize that too. What we're talking here is about abolishing the idea of the friendship hierarchy or even yeah. any hierarchy because it's just not comparable like you it's might not, say you love not, your wife more than your friend but you might actually love your best friend a lot like a lot a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the the, the the fact that it remains is that um since you brought up marriage and i'm not speaking to marriage because we said yeah. earlier we have not been married so let's just make well, that we've straight. already done full disclosure <laughs> yeah um but you can't compare a best friend to your wife because it's it's not even in the same ballpark. Your wife is your life partner. Your best friend is your 
hetero life partner yeah. for lack of a better term. Um, thank you, Kevin Smith. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, you can't, you just can't compare it. I don't think that's even a fair thing to do um, because the dynamic is totally different. You're not having sex with your best friend. You're having sex with your wife. You're not telling your, your wife, your darkest, deepest secrets. You're telling your best friend. It's not the same. Well, I wouldn't anyway. I just, yeah, <laughs> my wife is my wife is my wife, and I will definitely talk to her about a lot of stuff. But the really, really nitty gritty shit that I just don't think she would. Anyway, that's but that's even that's person thing. to person, right? Like some people might want of course, their of course. to be their one and all, and some people might want yeah. their mother to be their one and all, and you know what I mean? Like that's why yeah. I think it can't be compared, and I think people yeah. need to stop um, treating relationships as if they're measurable because they're not. No, they're not. Um, like I said, the, the, like the dynamics are just not the same at all. You know, it's just not at the end of the day, it's all different. It's a, I'm going to have a bit of a Jerry Springer moment here and ask you if you've got any final thoughts before we wrap up. Uh, I think we covered everything. I mean, there's probably topics that we could broach, uh, at this point as offshoots, but I think we were okay to, to cut it off at this point. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your insight and perspective and expertise. <laughs> My expertise. I went to the school of life, man. <laughs> Hard knocks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for having me as a guest. I appreciate the uh, your time and uh, be well, everyone. Likewise. Welcome back. You've been listening to Frivolous Gravitas. Take care. Thanks.